The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle Hyman, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who really should be familiar with me after 212 episodes. Josh, how's it going this fine evening? Uh, it's going good. It's going good. I think actually in a different world, I could be your familiar <laughs> in the possible. literal terms. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's going it's going good. Uh, actually, I had a really great weekend, and uh, um, I know that's like off. That's not normal <laughs> recently, so it's nice to have like some nice things uh, going on. You would be you would appreciate. Uh, I'll, I'll tell an anecdote later about something that happened yesterday which was really nice gotcha well josh i'm really thrilled then that we can end your week on weekend on even a higher note yes uh, because josh isn't the only familiar person on this podcast making his return to the show is creative director at plaid hat games and designer of the recently announced familiar tales mr jerry hawthorne welcome to the show sir how do you do how's it going you know, we're absolutely thrilled to have you. So it's going really well as a result of that. Um, you know, by chance, if, you know, a listener is new or a listener isn't aware of who you are, Mr. Hawthorne, can you do a, just a little brief introduction? Who are you in the board game world? Well, I uh, I'm I work for Plathead Games and I'm a game designer and I've uh, designed a few games that uh, are out there and um that people kind of know of. I've been doing this since 2015, I believe. Um, people know me for uh, Mice and Mystics and Stuff Fables and um, Aftermath, Comanauts, Tail Feathers. Uh, and um, I also did a lot of work on the old game Heroescape, if anybody remembers mm. that game. And now I have a new game coming out called Familiar Tales. Awesome. Well, we are thrilled to have you here, and the bulk of our show is definitely going to be talking about Plaid Hat Games and the recently announced Familiar Tales, but we're going to go through, get a little housekeeping done before we get into a little bit of what we've been playing. So thank you much, so much for joining us this week, everyone. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, or suggested topics, hit us up at BoardWithVG on Twitter, or check out all the awesome stuff over on the Instagram, also BoardWithVG. We're a proud part of Play Some Video Games, and PSVG is on Patreon. We are thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far. And if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG. Just like Edwin Kahlo, AJ Pentecost, Chris M., Devin Tyus, Joe Wilson, Josh Borboni, Nick Creature, Nick Fallhaber, Paul Calicote, RJ Kern, Stephen Keller, Zach Adams, Michael Taylor, Trucker Sloth, and of course, Horse Girl 69. But the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share a show with someone who you think would enjoy it. We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, 
there's a podcast on the network that's right for you. So with that, before we get into all of the super interesting topics of what's been going on at Plaid Hat and of Familiar Tales, we're going to cover a little bit of what we've been playing. So to kick us off, Josh, why don't, why don't you cover a little bit about what's been how you've been spending your time lately? Okay, so I've I forgot to mention. So last week I participated in Extra Life um, charity fundraiser where we gamed for twenty four hours straight, uh, twenty five hours because of that lovely daylight savings time. So all those farmers could get out there early on Sunday morning before the sun came up. <laughs> uh, I did forget to mention Back for we played Back for Blood um, as well, which is a game that um, is not forgiving. A little too, uh, it's just not fun. It's difficult. It's not as fun as Left 4 Dead. Um, I saw something that said that like, like the, the, the amount of people playing Left 4 Dead is still higher than the amount of people playing Back for Blood. I think it makes sense. They, they tried really hard to, I mean, it's the same studio, and they tried really hard to like recapture that magic of Left 4 Dead 2. Um, and I think that, that it's still there. A little bit, but uh, and I they are updating um, the game so it's easier to play solo because really if if you play the game single player and you rely on the AI because they they'll fill in the other three people um, if you don't want to play with strangers they literally just stand still and die it's just very disheartening not super fun unfortunately but um, I mean. I'm going to, you know, this is one of those evolving games. So hopefully once they fix that, uh, it'll be more fun to go back into. <clears throat> but I'll go from that to a multiplayer game that I'm having fun with. That's Battlefield 2042, which is typically not a game that I would enjoy. Um, is it 20? It's 2042, right? Not 2024. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um and I, I know that this is a little controversial because they didn't add um, a campaign mode, but they're actually it opens on like a story, which I was surprised to see. So there actually is a driving force behind what you're doing to a degree, besides the fact that you're just shooting people on giant maps. Um, but it feels really good. It controls really good. Um, I get the 10 hour free trial because I have Game Pass. So if you're listening and if you have Game Pass, you can play it for 10 hours. Uh, and the game isn't even out yet, so you can play it before the game comes out, which is great. To clarify, do you get 10 hours because you have Game Pass, or do you get 10 hours because you have EA Play as part of your Game Pass? Well, EA Play is part of Game Pass, so if you have... Oh, if you have Game Pass Ultimate, thank you. Good correction. Right. Well, no, but also, just if somebody is on PC or on PlayStation as EA Play, would they still get the 10-hour trial? Yes, yeah, so if you have EA Play okay. individually, you also get that 10-hour free trial. Uh, I want to mention Fox in the Forest Mobile. Um, a board a board game, a card game uh, that I absolutely love um, is now a mobile forum. And it's a beautiful like adaptation, like very like the art is great. I mean, the art is great on the cards already. The music is really good and it plays pretty smooth uh, cross platform. So Android and Apple, you can play against each other. I think it's like five bucks. Uh, totally worth it. Uh, if you haven't played the game or if you're like Kyle who has played the game and he likes it, but the significant other doesn't like it just as much, you can come play me online. That's fine. I'm available for games. Uh, so yeah, check that out. Uh, I've, I'll just briefly touch on Forza Horizon 5 because I talked about it previously. 
Forza Horizon 5, I, I hit level 64 today. So that, I think that says something about how much I enjoy Forza. Um, I completed the main game, uh, which is the Horizon Festival today as well. Um, I got a Tron Lamborghini. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, I'm just loving it to death. So I, I, I won't uh, harp on it too much, but uh, just a ton of fun. Really enjoying that. Uh, and then I guess I'll end on Elden Ring. Um, so I got into the technical test for Elden Ring over the weekend. There were very specific times you could play it. And for people who don't know, this is the George R.R. R. Martin um, Dark Souls-esque game by From Software. And uh, for me, not being... What do I want? How do I want to phrase this? I'm a dad. I have I play all my games on easy mode now, so a from software game is not in my wheelhouse. I'll say. Um, so I never was able to really get into them. I've tried Sekiro and I've tried Demon Souls, both games that well, I bought Sekiro, Kyle bought Demon Souls, Elden Ring. I think could be for me because it's actually more of a wide open it feels very lord of the ringsy and uh, i guess more fantasy than this like what do i think of when i think of dark souls um like hr giger meets medieval times like that's what i think of when i think of like demon souls or dark souls so i think this is more of that like lord of the rings um feeling as far as fantasy goes in the world and this like giant beautiful tree that's providing life and there's some story in here and uh it has this uh what do i how do i like it kind of leans you into the combat where i think in the in when i play demon souls like i'm just immediately dying because i don't know what i'm doing but i'll tell you what there's some tricky people because i know from these games people are a lot like can leave notes or shadows and like you can follow them but like one of the first ones I, I run into is a note that says, jump into the cave. And then you see the shadow jump down a giant hole. And I'm like, uh-uh, no, no, I'm not jumping to my death because the first thing I run into is a troll trying to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was fun. I like I liked what I played, but um, you know, that's that's a we got some time to wait. I think February, right, for that game. Yes. So we got some time. Um but enough about me uh, talking too long about games I've been playing. Uh, Josh, real briefly, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, you said Elden Ring overall it seemed like you were positive on it. Mm. It comes out, I don't know, five days after for, uh, Horizon Forbidden West. Yeah. So are you going to, you know, drop Horizon when it comes out and move on no. over to Elden Ring? Or what's your no. plan? <laughs> no, I'm going to start Horizon and I probably won't touch another game okay. until I 100% that game. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Uh, awesome. Well, that was a nice little batch of games. I'm going to, you know, only talk about one game because that's all I played because uh, <laughs> I was unexpectedly out this weekend uh, until like earlier today, so which I wasn't anticipating. Uh, but I did play the social deduction game uh, First Class Trouble, which this was one of the games that was actually at Sony's last state of play. Uh, and it is developed by Invisible Walls, who I, I'm not sure any other games that they have done. Uh, but it's published by Versus Evil, who are the folks who published uh, the Banner Saga games. 
So they have definitely published some pretty solid games in their in their backdrop. Uh, but this is a pretty straightforward social deduction game. Uh, there's six players in each game. Two of them are humanoids, who are the robots. Those are like the, the bad guys, if you would. And then there's four humans. And the goal is just to either, obviously, as humans survive or root out who the two humanoids are and get them. You're on a spaceship, so get them blasted off into space. And as obviously as the humanoids, the goal is to eliminate the human players. One thing that's a little off-putting about this game is when you're when you play a humanoid it comes up and tells you who the other one is right away which is great but and there are ways that you can trick the humans you can like push them into the pool and they can't swim so unless another human like uses like a raft to rescue them they'll die you can like push them into fire you can do this other thing but if you're both together one of you can hold the person and the other one can choke them to death. Like you literally hold down a button to choke them and you just stand there and you see the life go down. It's a little off footing. Cause you're like, Hey, like, Hey person, hold them so I can choke them. Like that's what you're right. killing the other person. So it's a little off footing as a result of that. The game's a little buggy. Uh, there was a time when, me and when I was playing the humanoid and my other humanoid partner, we were in a room with one other person and we were like, he went over and grabbed her and then I started to choke her and like, I thought I killed her and then I just let go and she just started to run away. So then I grabbed her and the other person choked her and she still didn't <laughs> oh die. God. So like, and then she was running out being like, Hey, it's these two who are it, but like no one believed her because they thought she was, so we actually ended up winning that game anyway, <laughs> even though it was very clear that we were the bad guys, like no one believed her. Um, so there are some bugs as far as that goes, but overall, if you're looking for a fun social deduction game that actually has a lot of different, uh, things that you can do is along the way as the humans, you have to like continually like resupply oxygen into the, um, oxygen system. Otherwise you'll actually end up just losing out on your oxygen and you can die that way. Uh, I have not been in a game where the, I've only been in one game where the humans have won. It's very, very hard to win as the humans so far, but I think once everyone learns the ins and outs of the mechanics, I think that will change. So, like I said, it is a little buggy, uh, but it is a free game on PlayStation Plus, so if you have PS Plus, you can get it for free. Um, we had a ton of fun. I played with my typical Overwatch group um, when we were playing it, and it was a lot of fun. Um, so I, I do think if you have a group of six, it's a great time. But even if you have a small group and you go in with some randoms, um, it still can be pretty good. Though, you do get some griefers every once in a while who are clearly not are just there to cause mischief and mayhem and and not kind of go through which is always a challenge in a game like this but overall not too bad not better than i anticipated it would be we'll say or you have a human player who gets strangled by two robots and then still gets voted <laughs> out and never wants to play again <laughs> yeah i know they were so angry and i which i understand they're like no it was yeah. kyle and this other person everyone's like you're just saying that because you're clearly the humanoid and i'm like yeah why would i if how did you get out if both of us were the bad people like oh, how did God. you get out of there like yeah and th th it worked because it was a bug so yeah i guess but all right jerry yes what have you been playing sir <laughs> so are you talking video games right or board games what have you been playing uh well i uh you know as as you know i'm a board game designer so um i play a lot of prototypes and stuff that i can't talk about i'm already working on a game that uh that i hope to have released here in the next year or two nice um so that's what i've primarily been playing um but i've also played a few other board games i don't know if you guys have heard about uh do you guys are you guys familiar with uh thunder road the the old board game back yes. in the 80s yes. 
Okay, so uh, Restoration Games is doing a a, a revamp of this uh, game, and I got so impressed with what I saw and like kind of interested because you know the mechanics seem to be different than the old Thunder Road. So what I did is I I literally built my own prototype at home since that's what I do for a living. I make prototypes all the time for myself and for other projects that I have going on. So I built a prototype of the new uh, Thunder Road Vendetta and I played it with my son. And I have to say it is, it's badass. Uh, we absolutely love it. It is a beautiful, uh, you know, successor to the Thunder Road name. And uh, as uh, it was on Kickstarter a little while back and it, yeah. uh, they, they pulled it. Bef- I mean, it was going to fund, but they pulled it because I don't think it was going to fund as high as they wanted it or as it deserved. And they're going to kind of uh, redo the Kickstarter and start it back again in January. And I'm super excited about it because it's uh, it's really awesome. Are you guys familiar with all the whole Thunder Road stuff and everything? You know, I, I saw the Restoration Games was doing it and I think that, it's actually a blind spot for me. I didn't remember the original game, but it seemed um, uh, appealing as far as like what it looked like thematically. Yeah, it's it's this old yeah, game. I, Go ahead. I was just going to say, and I remember being around when it was played, but I have never played it myself. Okay, so let me like uh, inform you guys here. So this is this old game made for kids that came out back in the, you know, in the 80s. And it was this big box game, and it was uh, basically trying to uh, sort of uh, take Mad Max and make it into a board game for kids. And it was just this ridiculously simple roll and move sort of, I would call it a beer and pretzel game, but it was literally made for kids. But as adults, I played it, I've never played it as a kid, but as an adult, we played it a lot as a beer and pretzels kind of game. It gives you that whole Mad Max kind of feel. You get this team of three cars and a helicopter, and everybody gets their own team of three cars and a helicopter. You have a big car, medium car, and a little car. The big car is tough, the medium car is fast, and the little car is even faster, but fragile. And then you get the helicopter that can fly around and drop bombs on people, and you just try to you know, run each other off the road and, and be the last one standing, kind of. And you play on this long road made of these, uh, these, these boards, and then when you go off the end of the front board, you uh, you move the board so that you take the backboard off and you put it in the front. And any cars that are on that backboard, they slide off and then they are out of the race. So you're always moving forward in it. And it's just this linear straight road with uh, junk cars and stuff that you're trying to avoid as you're wrecking into each other and shooting each other and stuff. And it's really cool. But it was also really, really lame in many ways because it was just this roll and move kind of game that had like there had these weird rules where you could like do some stupid stuff with your car. And sometimes, you know, you would do those stupid things, not because they were realistic, but because, you know, they, they helped you win the game. Restoration Games came out with this new amped up version of it, and it really turns it into a legitimately really cool game, but it also keeps all the magic and all that fun and chaos of the old original game. And so uh, I'm just, I'm infatuated with it. And since I was such a fan, I have this huge collection. I have like several copies of the old game and I have all these custom little cars that I made. So I'm super excited about the new Thunder Road uh, Vendetta from Restoration Games. Tried it and I played it and we fell in love with it. And so hopefully... um, It'll it'll launch again in January, and I'll back it right away. That's cool. It reminds me of um, we had 
um, who, who was used to work with you. Um, I always, I always want to say Callan, but Colin uh, Flores was on, and he used to do the um, uh, Car Wars game. And I used to always see pictures of him um, painting and setting up all the cars. And when I look at pictures of like the old Ender Road, that's like exactly what I picture like that type of game to be like. So it looks really cool. Yeah, you know, um, actually, Colin um, and I played a game called Gaslands. It's what I think that's what you're thinking of. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. Gaslands, not Car Wars. Yeah. So Ga- <laughs> yeah. Gaslands is like this cool tabletop game where you play it on this big tabletop and you and you create terrain and stuff, and you take old Hot Wheels or new Hot Wheels or whatever. You take yeah. Hot Wheels and you convert them into these uh, Road Warrior type cars, and then there's this uh, these rules that came from Osprey that were like super cheap. I think at one point you used to be able to like download them as a PDF and you just print them off and then you, you make your little cars and stuff and it's just, it was super fun. So yeah, yeah, I love that game too. I mean, me and Colin played that one a bunch. Yeah. He would, there was times just on social media, like he would, it was, he was (laughs) posting so much about that. (laughs) Yeah. It was great. It was really cool to see. Yeah. It's a cool game. I'd love to, uh, I mean, I would love it if there was like a really good video game that sort of recreated that kind of feel. Um, I, I don't do a lot of video games cause I, uh, cause I'm just not good at them. Um, and I'm older than you guys, so you'll see, but like you were talking about easy mode. I'm like even worse than that. I need like, I need easier than easy mode. I need, everything needs to be a tutorial for me or something, but my son got, no, the, I hear uh, you. My son got the Mad Max game that came out um, on Xbox, and um, yeah, I literally watched him play through that thing, and I, I love just watching him play that game, and he was really good at it. So, have you guys seen that one? Uh, it yes. was it's just a few years old, but I did play that one. Um, I really enjoyed it for what it was. It was definitely a nice. I mean, it hit at the right time. It was right after. I mean, arguably. Uh, one of the, I mean, well, I don't know. I'm going to start talking about Mad Max, and we're going to get off on a, <laughs> on a tangent. But um, I don't know that I, I, I don't Mad know Max. that. Yeah, I don't know that I've had a movie going experience that has duplicated what seeing Mad Max Fury Road was like in the theaters, where my hands were on the armrest the whole time, and I was just in awe. Uh, so I was dying to get. Mad Max. In fact, it came out the same day or week as Metal Gear Solid 5, a game series which I was in love with forever. And I chose Mad Max over Metal Gear Solid 5, which I have never finished uh, uh, Metal (laughs) Gear. So I made a a pretty (laughs) like big decision based off of a movie that (laughs) I just was in love with. So Um, I hear you. There's a game called Wreckfest on all the consoles you're not going to necessarily get mad max specifically but it's very much um it's easy to play it uh it's a like a destruction derby style game that have has other race modes so you're getting more of the um fun arcadey damage to vehicles and you can still be driving with like one and a half tires and the front end of your car gone um and that's super fun um but yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't know that we've seen too many games capture um, that experience since the game you watch your son play, which was arguably a very good game at the time. Yeah, I think so. It was so. definitely I mean, one of the most um, slept on games of that year, for sure. Yeah. 
because I played it as well. The only thing I didn't like about it is the jump button was in a weird spot. I was going to say the same thing. The jump button is like the top button instead of the bottom button. Yeah, that's like the one thing I remember from that game is like jump button was just mapped somewhere else and you couldn't change it. And I was like, every other game, the jump is like here. And on this game, it's here. What are we doing? But yeah, that's like the one thing I remember about that. I had a great time. I thought the game was great, but that was just the one thing that drove me nuts. Fortunately, there's not as much jumping. (laughs) yeah Yeah. it was like x's jump so like normally that's like punch or something so you're trying to jump and you're it was it was funny but it was very off (laughs) any other games you've been playing jerry um i played um the the new uh world of warcraft pandemic game that one's pretty cool um i played um a buddy of mine um well it's he, he invented a card game which is pretty cool i played that uh, and we played, uh, some miniature games, uh, a prototype that another buddy of mine is working on. We played that and it was really cool. I, I can't, there's like a lot of stuff that I play is like not, not released yet or out there. Um, yeah. Played some Summoner Wars. Have you guys ever played Summoner Wars? A bit. I played it a bit. Yeah. Kyle? I, yeah. I played it a bit back in the day. I've not played second edition though. Yeah, the new edition is just uh, it's just bad to the bone. It's so everything that you can imagine about it is improved, and uh, the new app, um, and uh, you know the new app version that we have is also really fun too. So um, if you guys ever get a chance to play that, um, you can play it yeah. over the internet and stuff. It's really awesome. I saw Colby. I think Colby was playing right for like when it first launched, for like a week straight or something on online, and they were inviting people to join in. Yeah, you could just like cool. join in and play the guy that created it uh, all yeah, week long. No big deal. <laughs> I, I don't know how many games he logged, but he's oh, pretty I good. I can't imagine because he, he seemed very accessible while he was doing it, so he must have had <laughs> a ton. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, uh, we have a lot of uh, we have. I don't know if you guys know this, uh, but we have uh, Joe Joseph Ellis that is uh, has joined our team past over the past couple of years. And he's behind all of the digital implementation that we have as a company. It's really transforming our company quite a bit. And um, it's pretty cool. So that's darn it. Because that was going to be a great segue to a question I was going to ask. But I'm going to go back to a previous (laughs) question. No, it's okay. Okay. Because that was something I wanted to ask about was seeing how much digital integration, you know, that has been going on with Flat Hat. So that's something we'll definitely talk about here in, in the future. But you've t- mentioned a couple of times about like prototypes and games you've been working on and all of that good stuff. So one thing I've always been curious about when it comes to game design, I guess we're kind of transitioning now into more of like the interview type portion part of the show. How often or how many like prototypes, how many plays do you play for an idea before you bring it forward and are like, hey, I think I, I have something here. I really think this is something we should go forward with. Like how much are you kind of putting things together on your own before you share it with others when it comes to that? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'd say like 95% of what I create doesn't get seen by anybody else but me. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I play it with other people. Sometimes it's just very flat and it doesn't doesn't pan out. Sometimes it uh, gets sent back to the forge to be uh, reimagined and we try it again. Um, it's a lot of uh, trial and error, a lot of trial and error. So it's a lot. 
And unfortunately, a lot of that involves me putting together physical prototypes, because that's really the only way that you're going to actually be able to play something and get a feel for it. So that involves me printing and cutting and gluing and all that crap until I get a, uh, you know, a junky little pl- prototype. And then I inflict that on, on my friend or a family, family member. And we uh, either decide that, it's, <laughs> that it can move forward or not, and most likely not. Very few so, so and I think it's tough to try to introduce my family to board games on Thanksgiving. It's really zero point one percent of how much how tough that must be for you to try to force games on family members all the time. I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, my family just in general, my my core family, my wife and kids and stuff, they're horrible. They uh, they don't like you know testing my stuff, and they um, they don't like playing games in the rough state like that they don't see they don't have the vision to see through that when i look at that rough stuff when somebody else shows me their their rough uh prototypes types and stuff i have the vision i see like right through all that i see the potential but my family is not trained to see that potential at all right and so they don't really sometimes a lot of times they don't actually get it you know and they don't see the things that i haven't implemented yet i'm like well imagine that this is in here and this is there and it's, you know, when I make a map or something, let's say it's a game with a, a map or a board or something, it is literally just, you know, block colors and lines and it'll have actually written on it. It'll be like, there's a refrigerator here. There's a door here, you know, <laughs> just to try to help them. And it doesn't work. They need that immersion, I think. Sure. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how difficult that is, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I want to say like it's, it's nice. It's going to sound bad when I say this, and I don't mean it to be bad. It's nice to hear that you're doing that. You have all this at like work that you're putting into the prototypes as well, where you, I would imagine you must have that drive. Like when you say that like 90 to 95% of your games don't see the light, I can imagine how, how tough that is and how some people probably can't push through that. So, um, a weird way of flattering you, I would say, is I guess I think that's <laughs> a really uh, um, great thing that you're able to do. Thank you. I, I mean, we can we can go down like a you know this funky rabbit hole about what it's like to be a game designer, or you know different philosophies or approaches that people have. But one thing that I do is like I don't, and I and I and I've mentioned this on other podcasts, even our own Plat Hat podcast, but I don't really waste anything. So if I have a prototype, I mean, I keep I keep everything. So I have this huge giant, um, you know, tons and tons of folders and inside each folder is, you know, the documents that I began. Some, some of them are just, you know, brainstorming ideas and stuff. And I keep all these and I don't feel that there's any waste because, you know, I know when something's working, it just not, might not be for the right game or whatever. I keep that stuff. And then I go back to it and I farm that for ideas when I'm working on new stuff. So it never, it's never wasted. It's, it's always there. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's weird when you're, when you, when this is what you do for a living, it literally you're, what makes a game designer is being able to have a vision and then bring that vision from idea all the way to actual, a physical thing. And I just don't think that many people have the stamina to do that. Like the, the, the emotional and mental stamina to do that. It's a, it's a, it's a process. It's very, it's not it's not always fun, you know? Yeah. So to kind of 
transition a little bit and i i don't want to get us too i don't want to like be too rigid about like we have to talk about this and we have to talk about this because i think obviously all the insights that you have are really awesome because josh and i will come on and be like well i bet or i think or it seems like we we say those things all the time when we're talking about board games and the board game business and, and what it must be like to design games um but last time you were on jerry was episode 125 which was posted february 25th of 2020 mm-hmm. and on that episode you're like hey there's some things that are going to change <laughs> I, I can't really say anything about them and it's not bad but it is big but it'll be soon but that's really all i can say and we're like well what does this mean like we had no idea like what this was and then like i said that episode posted february 25th then we find out february 28th that Plat Hat Games, who had been acquired by Asmodee in 2015, had you know reached terms to become an independent studio again. And Josh and I cried a little bit. We're like, man, we could have had the scoop. We could have had it so close. Um, but you know, in this time, you know, especially in board games and video games, you know, studios becoming independent again is not the trend right now. Everything no. is consolidation, right? Yes. Everything is big companies. Companies getting bigger. You know, Asmodee getting sold for even more money to another investment group. Like everything is about big companies becoming bigger. So, you know, what has that journey been like at Plaid Hat now in the last like 18 months since that happened? And I know Colby has talked a lot about why the decision was made and kind of all of those things. But, you know, you have this huge change of becoming independent again. So if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about like what that's been like, you know, what was it was like to be on along on the ride, but then also like, hey, the last 18 months of board games has been really interesting. So you decide to become independent. We hit a global pandemic. We have all these shipping things that are going on. What's it been like to be working in the board game industry, especially at Plaid Hat for the last 18 months? Uh, well, it, no pressure. you know, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we can go back, you know, in time to uh, when I was on your show last. So uh, we, I was on, on your show in February, right? Well, yeah. in, in the, the December, just prior to that, we had found out that uh, Colby had uh, had been made an offer to do something completely unheard of in this industry. Right? They offered him an opportunity to buy himself out, buy his business out. And now, remember, he was acquired uh, by he was acquired by F two Z, and so he was snatched up by F two Z, and so Plat Hat was independent, and then they became part of F two Z, and then F two Z was snatched up by Asmodee. And became Z-Man and under Asmodee umbrella. And so there was this, you know, constantly purchasing. We had been bought twice, basically, prior to uh, going back independent. Well, when he got it, there were some things about being in a big company that were difficult for a little company like us who were so used to being agile and having creative control over what we were doing and how we market things and stuff like that. And it was just you know, it it was, we would just preferred to be independent. And so when he got the opportunity to become independent again, um, it, it, I mean, he took it. And so he told us in, in December and we had to start preparing and stuff. And I found out that my, that my, all my titles, all my IPs were going to be staying with Asmodee and I was going to end up, you know, with Plaid, with Plat Hat Games, I was still going to be with Plat Hat Games, but I wasn't going to have any of my old titles. Now, those things were all things that I had lined up to work on um, for you know additional content for those things, and I had I had all these plans, and I mean these plans were were important to me, and um, 
So when I discovered that we were going to be going independent again and that I wasn't going to have my IPs, I was going to have to start from scratch. Um, it was scary. I'll admit it was kind of scary. And at first I had a, you know, a major panic attack about it. But then I went back to all my old files and stuff and started looking through, you know, game design ideas that I had that I knew had merit, stories that I had written that I knew had merit. And I started just combing through those old stories and stuff and thinking about, you know, which ones of those would I want to work on now that I'm free to work on whatever I want to work on, you know? And so I, uh, I remembered this old story that I had um, called the Inky Woods. And it was about this, uh, these, f- these wizards familiars that had to take care of this baby and they had to go into this uh, enchanted forest and protect this baby from harm and stuff. And it was this compelling little story that I have always thought was a really neat little story. It'd be a fun way to do a, you know, a cooperative adventure game where the players play the part of familiars. And so I started working on familiar tales actually even before I was on your podcast. So. Oh, wow. Dang. Okay. Um, So what then, you know, obviously you become independent again and then the pandemic hits Yes. How, okay. So, how did things? Yeah. How did things go with Plaid Hat for that? Like, obviously, you know, games came out. Like, th- those things still happen. But how did how did that? What was that like for you all on the industry side? Okay. So we we had uh, we were in the process of going independent, and um, it was taking longer. That whole process was a, a legal process. It was taking longer than you than we thought. Right. So what we thought was going to take like, you know, four weeks is taking eight weeks. It's taking twice as long as what we thought. And so we had our little office here in Dallas, Texas, and we were all working, but we were all kind of, you know, kind of closing up shop on old things and like, you know, starting to plan for new stuff. But then this pandemic news started to hit the, started to hit the news, you know, this pandemic stuff. Right. And so we started having offices within our building just completely shut down. Like, boom, they're gone, right? We had, we were in an office complex and they had, you know, doctor's offices and dental offices and all this stuff. And next thing you know, they're just completely cleaned out. And pretty soon, our the office building that we were working in was like a, a ghost town. And this is still before, like, like we really started to have, you know, big time shutdowns and stuff. And then when the shutdown hit, I mean, we, our, our lease was, I think, close to being up and, you know, Colby went ahead and, uh, you know, liquidated our office and we all started working from home and stuff. And then Colby announced that he's moving back up to Ohio and putting his house on the market. And, um, and then some of my other coworkers are like, we're moving to Ohio too. And I'm like, oh, I can't. <laughs> I'm like, so it's like, I've never worked from home in my entire life. I've always, you know, had a place to go to work. And so now there's a skill involved in working from home. I, I don't know if you guys work from home, but there's a skill involved that I'd never had a, any opportunity to, uh, to, to, to sort out and stuff. So there's a lot of stuff for, for me to work through, um, like learning how to work from home. You know, my wife runs a business out of our home. So like for me working from home, I literally have to share a space with an existing business. It's like doing yeah. business and I'm, you know what I'm saying? It's so, it's so weird. Yeah. Um, so there was all this other stuff. And in the middle of all that, I'm also trying to write this compelling story, an emotionally compelling story 
that I was very, very captivated by. And so, you know, writing is already difficult enough. And then there I am writing and designing this game in the middle of like absolute chaos. Um, but, you know, sometimes I, I, from, from like a, I don't know, like a goofy philosophical point of view or something, sometimes in those moments of like absolute chaos in life, sometimes really cool stuff comes out of it and everything. And um, like when we, when, when we went independent, when Plat Hat Games went independent, one of the cool things that happened to us is that we were able to sort of reorganize our little company. And at, at the time that we went independent, we were able to do some things with um, Forgotten Waters. Are you guys familiar with our game Forgotten Waters? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Pirate adventure game. We were able to make some decisions and do some cool things with, uh, with Forgotten Waters, which is one of the few titles that they, that they let us keep. And so we were able to do some cool things with that that involved uh, the digital implementation of, uh, of, our, of our digital uh, app that goes with it. Those cool things are absolutely amazing. I mean, we, we set an industry standard for the voice acting and the sound design on that game. And app integration, we've done app, app integration right. We've done it in a way that the app doesn't intrude upon the game. You still have a full-blown board game experience. The app is just there to sort of enhance that experience and take away and do a little bit of the quality of life things that, you know, the, some of the fiddly things that, that, that annoy people in board games, we're able to put that stuff on the app and take it away from the players so that all you, all you have to do is just sit and concentrate on the experience. And I think that, that and then like, you know, that knowing, like me knowing that, that my next game is also going to be app integrated like that and seeing all of that, uh, all, all of the praise and fanfare on our Forgotten Waters app, that was a huge motivator for me because this is the first time I've ever designed a game that has an app related to it. So uh, I think those were some of the good things that came out of that big transition. We've also awesome. uh, been able to go back to some of our know. older titles like Ashes and Summoner Wars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we've been, been um, able to go back say, to those older titles and like really give them the, the love. Yeah, Summoner Wars. Sorry, got, I, I mean, uh, Ash has got a, like a great you. like um, reinvention. I guess I would. I don't. I would avoid the pun, so I didn't say it. But uh, <laughs> I got a, like a great like rebirth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the, the art looks incredible, and, and yeah, um, uh, it really is something that I've been. I bought. I bought Ashes from my friend like. Many Christmases ago, we played it a few times, but then every time I see this Ashes uh, new stuff, I'm like, oh, I should really just jump on it because it looks really cool. And I love the way that that you guys handled the, um, I guess you consider it crowdfunding, right? But the way that that was handled and where people kind of know that they're getting a product off of what they're investing in it. Yeah, we don't do uh, Kickstarter, so um, but we compete with people who use Kickstarter. And so yeah. we've had to come up with some creative ways to sort of uh, make our mark out there. One of the things that we've done with um, Ashes and um, with Summoner Wars is do subscriptions. And so um, that's actually a pretty cool deal. Um, it's, it's a neat way of funding our stuff. Um, and it's a neat way of uh, providing insurance to the people who support that, that it'll continue to be supported as long as it's uh, supported, as long as it's, uh, you know, it's sort of a... Uh, a mutual thing between the fans and um, 
in us. Yeah, very cool. I really like the way that that, that worked out for you guys. You had mentioned a couple times the um, the rise in digital um, when it comes to the digital connection with Forgotten Waters and now with Familiar Tales coming out about how there's really integrating that app into it. Uh, how how did this come about? Was this like a very thoughtful, like cognizant, like we want to start doing this? Was it an opportunity that you just saw and went for it? And is this kind of where we can anticipate Plaid Hat is going to continue to make their mark? Because like you said, the app for Forgotten Waters, amazing, very, very well done. I think definitely a benchmark that other companies are now looking at and going for. Is this what we can expect more from Plaid Hat in the future? Well, yes. Um, like what we want to do is we want to continue. Uh, we want to continue being a trailblazer and a leader in the um, in the the field of app integration. Um, what we the interesting thing about um, Forgotten Waters is it was uh, co-designed by three different um, designers. We had Joe Ellis, we had uh, Mr. Bistro, and Isaac Vega, and um, they all three contributed um, in their own, own way to that game. But it was originally Joe Ellis's idea. It was his dream game, basically. He always wanted to do a board game version of uh, of an old adventure game, an old pirate adventure game that he used to love um, back from back in the day. And so he, um, uh, I think it was Monkey Island or something like that. So he... He, they originally were going to do it all analog. It was going to have this storybook kind of thing that you're going to look through and you're going to read passages out of. And that was the original implementation that they had planned on. But Joe is our, he's our guy that knows everything about tech and he is a programmer and he, you know, he can do all this, these things. And the book kept growing bigger and bigger and bigger because there's a lot of uh, branching dialogue and branching choices that you make in the game in a choose your own adventure style. And as those, every time you have these branching options, and if you want those options to be robust, you need to like write like 10 different, you know, options for each thing. And then that just keeps on growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and it started to go outside of the realm of what we could afford and what, what's reasonable because you would end up with a big giant telephone book size tome for looking up all these entries in and then that creates shipping issues. It creates, you know, packaging issues. And is it even fun for the players to have to look through this giant page through this t- giant tome? And so, uh, Joe is like, Hey, I can make an app that'll do all this. And so he did. And, um, and the app just, you know, we, we have a, a friend of ours that we've known for a long time, uh, Donald Schultz and, uh, Nikki Schultz was our marketing uh, person at the time and her husband is uh you know he's a master in sound design and he's worked for all these uh he's done all these anime voiceover things and stuff for uh funimation i believe and all these different companies and so he uh we brought him on to do the the sound design for um forgotten waters and then he had these connections to all these great voice actors and then that that all came together to be this really awesome thing and now we are just completely hooked on that and so you know, now we have familiar tales coming out and then that's 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 like uh you know taking it to the next level as well yeah we we played for for uh forgotten waters uh in oof, not too long ago actually and i kind of really was just kind of blown away with 
not just the voice acting, but also like just the ambient sounds that they put into the game where you hear bells ringing or water in the background during like this and like how you can just enter like three numbers to get to where you need to be and hear the story you need to hear. And uh, I thought it was really cool because I've definitely yeah. played some games with app integration. Um, and this was like, on a, you're, you're right, this is on a different level. And it was really cool. Yeah, that it, so the Josh idea that we're that we're <laughs> the idea that we're hooked on is just <laughs> like providing this ambient sound and and stuff that you know really immerses you in the experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely hit hit that on the head. So, Josh, I'm going to turn it over to you now to ask any questions your heart desires. You know, and maybe talk a little bit more about Familiar Tales, which is really you know what Jerry's here to talk about. So. Well, yeah, let's start. Let's let's introduce uh, Familiar Tales. So. so and this is going to seem maybe redundant to some point, but Black Hat recently revealed their newest game, which is why we're here, Familiar Tales, um, designed by our guest, uh, Jerry Hawthorne. And this, I mean, we reached out to Jerry last year because we're such big fans of, of Jerry's game. So um, when I saw this was announced, it was, I don't think I hesitated. I actually think I emailed Kyle, after I emailed you to see if it was, <laughs> see if <laughs> if the timelines worked okay, because I was immediately in your inbox trying to get you on because um, we had such a great time talking about my mystics and coming outs last time. Um, so uh, we definitely do have questions for you, and uh, we do have a listener question that you actually answered on Twitter already, but we'll re- we'll rehash it um, <laughs> here. Uh, but can you you want to give us the rundown on uh, Familiar Tales? And also, uh, we do have Jerry was um, kind enough to share uh, with us an audio file from the game, which we can play at, at any point you would like us to. Um, so we can also do that when you want to talk about it. But yeah, can you uh, give us the download on Familiar Tales? Sure, I will. Um, yes, uh, uh, Familiar Tales is my newest game coming out here pretty soon. It is a uh, cooperative family-style adventure game um, for one to four players, ages eight and up. And it, uh, in the game, um, the players take on the roles of these little familiars that have to care for a, uh, a displaced little baby princess. And it's kind of like, um, it's designed to be sort of like, to give you the feel of actually playing in a Disney movie, you know? Uh, uh, it's, 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 I targeted the tone and the themes and the ideas of like Disney movies from the golden era and the eighties and nineties of, uh, where they're just these interesting, you know, movies like black cauldron and stuff. And, um, it's just this epic adventure game that takes you from, uh, when you start off the, the, the child is just a baby, but, um, uh, you, you go through three eras in the game and by the end of the game, um, the little baby has grown up into a young woman and um, the choices that you make and the things that you do and, and the adventure and how it plays out kind of determines the quality of the, of the kid that she grows up to be. And so uh, it, it's, uh, it's a game that um, is played inside of a big storybook. Um, you, it's like a deck builder. Your each character has their own little deck of cards that you can buy new cards for and stuff. So Every character has their own unique little deck of, of, of cards 
And um, it's also, you also craft weapons and items and stuff for your characters. You collect resources and you use those resources to craft things for your characters. And it's also um, has an app integration, which is, uh, is super exciting because it's narrated and it has voice actors, uh, has some really high quality names in um, that are, that a lot of people are familiar with from other things. And um, it's just got huge star power. Um, one thing that I really am impressed with is that the game has its own musical score that, um, that we have, uh, we have Andrew Manson and uh, Christopher Sabat have uh, written the musical score for the game and it's dynamic. So the music changes based upon what you're doing in the game and each character has their own musical score. So when it's your turn, when it's your character's turn, the music will kind of change and adapt and you'll be able to know, even know that it's your turn just by knowing, you know, the, the, the music that's playing. So if you're taking a turn and you're playing chalk, the big lumbering golem, the music will have a little, you know, it'll have like some deep bass sounds. But then when you're playing, when it's uh, the, the fairy's turn and the fairy takes her turn, then it's going to have these little flute, you know, uh, threaded through the music and stuff. So it's just the most coolest thing. When you get into a fight, when you get into a battle, the the drums kick in and the and the and the tempo of the music changes and it gets all into the battle stuff. Well, it's just like a video game. It does all those cool things, and uh, some nothing like this has ever really been done in the world of board games before. So, it's super exciting. That's great. Uh, I, so you said you were working on this pre-pandemic. Were you still writing it during the pandemic as well? Yes, um, I. Actually, it was about four years ago that I started working on, I mean, that I started writing the story, but I, it, it was this idea that I called the Inky Woods and, um, I started writing it and then I put it in, in a file. I didn't do anything with it as I was working on other projects, but I always like came back to it, added a few more. I, I did this little opening story, like at the first chapter and I kept on rewriting it until I, you know, until I really liked the way it, it, it flowed and stuff. And then, um, you know, when the, when the, when we went independent and, um, I got an opportunity to, you know, work on something new, I went back to my files and I found this, this, this story and I was like, okay, this is what I want to work on. Cause this is a cool story. And so that's, that's what I did. Did you, do you think, I, I don't know if this is a stupid question or not, <laughs> maybe it is, uh, does you, was you, the story tone influenced at all by pandemic like did you did it get darker or did you feel the need to make it lighter as you were like revising the game during that period no no the game wasn't really influenced by the events of the pandemic at all or any other current events um not at all and you know i i, I understand that that is like you know there could be something that is enticing to people but i try to keep that stuff out of my worlds because my worlds are my escape as well as the escape of, um, the people who play them. So. Great. No, I mean, that's, uh, we had, we were, we were, we were talking about, there was like a new pandemic release board game that came out, I think pandemic hot zone. And we were always kind of talking about like, what was like the board game landscape going to look like a year after the, like this started and would people be leaning into it or avoiding it or, or anything like that? So 
I think um, it I think it's just nice to hear was... that your like your vision stayed true regardless of what of what was happening. Yeah. Now there are some game design, like game design um, things that were influenced by the pandemic, and I'll explain. One thing that we're very sensitive about, I think all designers are very sensitive about right now, is understanding um, the need for games that uh, that you can play in isolation or in isolated situations. Like my heart was breaking whenever I would sit and think about people who are like who are single and living in an apartment and they're on lockdown and their whole experience is just you know within the four walls of their apartment. And I just started like, I mean, I think everybody started to like, you know, realize that board games can, they can deliver a lot of comfort to people who are isolated and stuff. Um, small families or people who are, are alone. If you design your game in such a way that it can be played alone or in small numbers, in addition to larger numbers, larger groups, I think that's really something important. So when I was designing the, the mechanics for, um, for uh, Familiar Tales, um, I made sure to put a robust, you know, solo option and low player count option right from the very beginning, right as part of the core design. And so that way, and then everything else comes in, everything else plays into that. So if you are, if you are isolated because for one reason or another, and you're alone and you want to play this game, you can play it alone and it, it gives you a compelling game experience alone and the app and the voice actors and stuff, they all come in and they fill in all of that, you know, all that isolation. They fill it all in with voices and actors and, you know, it brings life to the, to a lonely situation. And I think that's super important. Yeah, that's great. That sounds awesome. I wasn't even thinking about that, but that makes a ton of sense. So I'll circle back to my first question I had because we're talking about this now. So we do know, um, besides the experience you had with Forbidden Waters uh, in that area, that this is really your first time working with an app and voice talent for your game. So uh, I'm just like incredibly curious about what that must have been like for you to enter that world and how to, how to try to get um, people to kind of meet you with your vision, with their vision of a character that you may have written for them. What was that like? Okay, so yes, this is my first time working with an app, working with voice actors and all that stuff. Um, as a game designer, um, I at first I it was complicated because I had to I had to understand how I was going to be writing this stuff and how it was going to integrate with the app and everything. Later on, when I got a little bit more used to it, it was very liberating because you know if I had a dialogue tree that I wanted to explore or something um, in, in the analog world, that would be something I would just try to avoid or like keep it down to the bare minimum. But knowing that there's going to be voice actors coming in with their emotions and there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a sound design director that's going to be directing them and that these, and the app is going to handle all that stuff behind the curtain. Then suddenly I'm like completely free to explore all of these um, nuances and stuff that the end user that you won't see, like, for instance, if I designed a, a, a situation in the game where you encountered, uh, you know, this MacGuffin and, um, you know, you would get one experience of encountering that MacGuffin. Meanwhile, I might have written 15 different 
ways that that situation could play out. And all those are hidden behind the app. And so the app might deliver one of those experiences to you and you experience that and you think, oh, that was cool. But you might not realize that if you play that game again and you encountered that MacGuffin this, the second time, you could have a completely different experience. And so that kind of thing, writing for that kind of thing, knowing that that could, that could be a potential that I was working with, it really makes it, makes it fun to write a lot of different, uh, you know, different things that can happen. And then when it comes to the sound design, when it comes to the actors and, and stuff, we have uh, Donald Schultz who works for us, who that's what he does. That's his specialty, sound design. And so he manages all those actors and acts as a director for them when, when they're recording. And I got to sit in on some of those and um, just kind of listen in on them and answer a few questions every now and then when the questions popped up. That is actually really, really amazing. I didn't have a whole lot to do with it. I just kind of listened in, answered a few questions. But it's really, really, really cool to like, you know, sit in on that and hear these actors bring my characters that I created to life, to bring their words to life and to bring out their emotions. Like listening to Justin McElroy play the part of the of the frog Gribbert in my, in my game. You know, that's just like really, really cool as he's like bringing my frog to life. And, and, and for weeks before listening to him, actually, when they had the studio time with him to, to record that, weeks and weeks and weeks of, of listening to his voice on the internet and imagining what he was going to do when he played my frog. And then finally having that day is really pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine what that must be like, but it sounds like it was pretty freaking cool. <laughs> it is. I mean, and you're listening to other professionals do what they do, you know? And so you're like listening yeah. to people do the things that they do well, and you're listening to them do it well. And it's just really cool. I'd be tempted to put like some Ron Burgundy lines in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Robert. <laughs> uh <laughs> So we kind of covered, I was going to ask you what your inspirations for the game were. So I know that Inky Woods was something like this is where it originally came from. Um, does it have any more like uh, inspiration before that? Is it um, something that maybe a story you um, have heard or this is something totally original or what were your inspirations around it in general? I was thinking about um, familiars, you know, in RPGs and stuff and, you know, wizards familiars. And um, I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool to to design a game where instead of playing the wizard, you actually played the familiars, the wizards familiars. Like they had, they had the, you know, the weight of the big, the big, you know, mission fell on their shoulders rather than, than the main character. I am always compelled by those ideas of like flipping stuff on its head to see if you can get new perspective on life through these different, viewpoints. And then I realized that the word familiar, I looked it up and um, the the etymology of the word familiar, it, it comes from, you know, ancient Greek word that meant of my family. And I started to think, I started to become really attached to this idea that the word familiar is derived from the word family and that it means of the family. And I started to think about these little familiars and I started to realize that uh, like you know, we can have, a, there's a lot of different ways to define what actually makes a family. And in our modern world, I think that's kind of important to, you know, that we have 
that we understand that di- different families are made up of different characters. I mean, they're made up of, of, you know, my family is completely different than your family. My family may seem dysfunctional to you. Your family may seem dysfunctional to me, but we all work together and we, we, we make it work. And this idea that like we can redefine what, it, what actually it means to be a family. I just got kind of hooked on it. And so that's what I ran with. And then it, it, it fits the whole idea of having these four completely different characters. You have a golem. Uh, who doesn't talk. All of his talking is done by this little bird that rides on his shoulder. You have a frog that used to be a human, but because he, you know, he, he got into some trouble on the wrong side of a witch and she changed him into a frog. And he really misses being a human. The longer he's a frog, the more his memories are, are fading away. And so he is, you know, he's, he's trying his best to remember what it's like to be a human. You have a, a fox who is just hot tempered and fiery and she's protective and uh, aggressive. And uh, you have a little fairy who has sort of uh, been, she's an outcast from the fairy, you know, conglomerate. And so she's kind of uh, on her own. You have these different characters all having to work together to raise a human baby. It's just kind of fun and interesting. Yeah. You don't have to sell me on it any harder. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) so I want to circle back to the, my the first question I was going to ask, and, and I, I'm just going out on the ledge here, assuming that there are going to be people who try to make cons- com- comparisons to stuff fables um, or even mice and mystics for this. So, how do you separate familiar tales from the games you are uh, incredibly well known for? Well, I'm not sure I really want to separate them that much. I mean, you know, I uh, they, they, they do very much have a, a Jerry Hawthorne feel to them. Um, I, this is something that I just, there's like this style of game that I'm just hooked on. And it, uh, so there are some similarities. There are the vulnerable characters. I always like to have these characters that seem like they're in over their head, you know, and that the, the, the task that they have to complete is a much bigger task made for bigger heroes. But then you got stuffed animals or, you know, mice who have to accomplish these giant, oh, you know, these giant uh, tasks. And I, that's something I'm, I just love. Um, so they very much, it feels like another Jerry Hawthorne game. I haven't skipped a beat or anything. But in, in a lot of ways, it's got some new innovations and some new ideas that have come to me. Um, the The way that I have the card integration has worked is a, is the next step up in what I've done in the past. I have this uh, sort of a universal, uh, you know, card system for that I feel like I could probably use it for a bunch of different um, projects. But but basically, your cards you don't when you have your character card, it doesn't have any stats on it or anything. All your stats are really in your deck. Your cards are your stats. And so you're playing your cards, playing your stats. You're, you're buying new cards to put into your deck that enhance, you know, a stat that you might be strong in to like, you know, keep on, you know, going that direction. Or you could like shore up weaknesses that your character has by buying other cards. But your stats are on your cards. I think that's kind of compelling. Um, and then there's, there's the symbols that connect to the weapons and stuff that you craft for your character. And because of the cards you purchased, those symbols are going to mean a lot to you on how you, how you craft your weapons and gear and stuff. So 
I really like this whole idea of having like this light deck building card play that sort of builds your character organically. And um, I think that it's uh, it's something that can be used for a lot of different, um, you know, a lot of different game expressions. Yeah, I love that. I love and, the and it's different than what I've done. What was that? Yeah, and I agree. I think the artwork is is familiarly different. Not, I'm not no pun intended. Uh, I guess I definitely see like, I guess as you say, the Jerry that Jerry Hawthorne ish to it but i can definitely see how different they are as far as like um tone and what they look like and um i really i don't know i think it looks really cool uh i don't need to sound cheesy about that but uh if you, people check our tweets for this episode i did include a link they can check out and look at the cards because those are on the um the website as well but um, i was definitely intrigued by uh the stats on the left side of the card and what they could mean. And I'm excited to find out in the game, but obviously like I can tell a shield is defense, right? <laughs> Hopefully I got that one, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it should be, I mean, you know, you should be able to look at it and kind of intuit what, what they do when we were, um, you know, that, that commercial that we, have you, have you seen our little commercials that we made for the game? The little video commercial. No, I haven't seen any commercials yet. No. Oh, you should check it out. It's really cool. It's on YouTube. But um, the uh, the the kid, we have a, like a little actor that's in it, and he's a, this kid. And when he was on the set, um, he, you know, we were all talking and and you know planning out how we're going to film this commercial. And this kid sitting there, and he's looking at the components, and he immediately figured out basically how to play the game just by looking at the components and sort of intuiting how that how they worked and stuff, and you know, we asked him a couple of questions about how he thought the mechanics worked, and we were surprised at how, you know, how he just sort of figured out how the game worked without even knowing anything about it. Awesome. But you should definitely check out that commercial because it's it's awesome. Yeah, I I have it queued up. I'll watch it as soon as we're done. I was say, I think that is one thing that is really awesome about your games. Um, uh, as someone who's a big fan of playing mice and mystics and has played a lot of stuff fables and like is very excited about playing this game now in january i think that's one thing that you do a really good job of of like things go the way you think they should like as you're going through and you're like well it feels like this should go this way and then that's just the way it works and i think you've always done a really nice job of that of your games feel like the mechanics very much fit with the theme of how you're going and if you don't know exactly if you just kind of like go like well what does it seem like should happen you're right 99% of the time, which is really nice. So uh, would you like us to, you know, like Josh had mentioned, you had, had very graciously shared an audio clip with us. Do you want us to play that now and then talk to us about that a little bit? Sure. Have you guys listened to the clip? I have. At yes, all? we both listened. Well, I've listened to the whole I thing. I intentionally didn't listen to it. <laughs> okay. I mean, did, did it sound like something that you would want to hear on your show or whatever? It's yeah. rough there. This is like uh, one of the rough earlier uh, recordings, uh, but it has all the actors voices in there and it's from a clip. It's a clip from the game that happens early on in the game. So I'm not giving away that, that many spoilers, but you can kind of hear the sort of the banter and the, and the exchanges between the actors, but there's no music integrated yet and very, very minimal um, sound design in there, but you can hear the actors and stuff and listen to a little bit of the script. 
if you okay. want to I was say this is rough goodness gracious like i didn't i you mean like well this was really early i was like i had no idea so uh if i did this right you both should hear this as well and listeners you should definitely hear this if i did this right so we're gonna go back and listen to a little clip of familiar tales the familiars hurried down the dirt path as quickly as chalk would allow much to the annoyance of the others the golem seemed nervous with its charge scared to jostle or startle the babe Blaze growled in irritation. We cannot maintain this crawl. Gribbert was inclined to agree. Friend Chalk, I fear we shall be found out if you cannot manage to increase your pace. Having been a human once, I can assure you, you do not need to treat the runt so fearfully. Tweets chirped angrily at that, and Flicker agreed. It's not a runt! And she flew around the golem's feet a few times. I think she's a real cutie. Blaze sighed impatiently. (sighs) I'm scouting ahead. The fox dashed away down the road. Okay, okay. Gribbert held up his webbed hands. I apologize for calling the baby a runt. Let her hereby be known as an absolute cutie. Flicker and Chalk nodded happily at this. (laughs) Excellent. Now that cuteness has been established, can we all agree to pick up the pace? We still have far to go and the road is unsafe. Flicker waved a hand dismissively. It can't be that unsafe. The road is unsafe. Blaze had returned, her tongue out as she panted. The bridge across the Silverling is held by a multitude of armed men. We must hurry away before they spot us. In the distance was the Silverling, a wide tributary that twisted its way through the Vale, aiming for a much larger cousin far away. Gribbert stopped to ponder their next move. We have two choices, I can see. We can attempt to lure away the guards on the bridge, then sneak across. Or we can follow the Silverling upstream and hope to find safe passage across. What say you all? None of them felt confident about what to do next. As if to emphasize the point, distant thunder rumbled as once again, storm clouds began to move across the sky. Wow. That's (laughs) That's awesome. So just to ver- so I assume then at that point we would get to make a decision about which direction we wanted to go or how we wanted to tackle this situation. Yes, yeah, so like this is this what you listen to is a transition between like two scenes. So like you, you're leaving one scene and then this this is the audio that you hear that transitions you between two scenes. And it presents you with a choice. Do you do A or do you do B or do you do C or whatever? So throughout the game, you're going to be delivered these choices through what you're hearing in the, in the narrative in the app. And then you make the choice and the app will have buttons for the choices that you make. And um, what you listen to there, it, it doesn't have the music in and it still is missing some of the sound design and a little bit of the refinement and everything. But you can hear the characters, you can hear the actors and their sort of rapport and stuff. So. What'd you think? That that was awesome. Funny. Uh, I love the, the character voices. And Kyle asked the first question I was going to ask. It sounds like there's like a branching path at the end where you can decide what you're going to do. And a person like me knows that I really want to know what happens both paths, but I know I have to pick one. Um, I think it sounds great. And the fact that you said that there, there's so much more to be added, like the score and stuff, like I can't, it sounds like it's going to be incredible. Yeah, the um, those voices. That was um, Elizabeth Maxwell as Blaze, and she's amazing. Of course, that was Justin McElroy as Gribbert. Um, the little fairy um, that is Anaris Quinones, 
And um, the chalk, the grumbling, that, that sound, that was uh, Christopher, <laughs> Christopher Sabat. So uh, I think that uh, he plays a part of, uh, of the golem um, chalk. And so uh, it's mostly just grunts and grumbles and occasional chuckles. <laughs> Um, you had mentioned, or I should say, yeah, at the beginning you had mentioned, but also on the website, it talks about how, you know, duration is 45 minutes for playing the game. And you'd also mentioned, uh, that it goes through basically three eras that you kind of go through as you're playing how, you know, in the air area of narrative adventure games is one of the things my partner and I play the most. We've been playing it on a sleeping gods lately. Like, so area of game that we play a ton, uh, how long to kind of finish a playthrough of the campaign would you figure? Um, I would say that, um, I mean, each each chapter, there's um, nine chapters in the game, and each chapter is going to take about, uh, it's going to be about two hours to three hours per chapter. It depends upon which chapter it is. Again, you can uh, save, there's uh, save points throughout the game, and so, um, you know, you can play for a half hour and save or whatever um, and and take it in, in whatever size chunks that you want to take it in. So, um, you know, I guess it's about, you know, 20 hours or so maybe um yeah i mean it's not it's not excessively long or anything um when i say it covers three three eras you know it it's the story is really big but um but actually i don't i don't ever really like a really super long campaign that involves a heavy commitment by the players and stuff because i think those are more difficult for people to pull off sure yeah, I've been playing Gloomhaven for four years now. <laughs> <laughs> Once a month, if we're lucky. <laughs> One of the interesting things about this game is it, it, it's played in three distinct eras. And so uh, era one is the era of the baby. And so um, you play through the first three chapters with uh, this baby that you have to take care of with all the problems that babies uh, bring with them, you know. And then at the end of era one, era one you transition to era two. And now the baby is a little girl. And she's, you know, this uh, precocious little rambunctious little child that, uh, you know, based upon how well you did in era one will determine, you know, how rambunctious your kid is in era two, if that makes any sense. And so at the end of era two, you'll end, you'll, you'll end era two and then you'll go to era three where the little girl's grown up into a young woman and how, you know, how unruly she is and how, uh, you know, obstinate she is as a young woman will be determined by how well you did in the previous two eras. So, uh, you could really make a mess for yourself if you, <laughs> if you don't watch what you're doing in the first two eras, because, um, you know, when you got this teenage teenager who knows magic and she, uh, has her own power and stuff, uh, she can become quite, uh, quite something to deal with as a teenager. Yeah, I mean, sounds great to me. Uh, uh, let's uh, let's sit down. We had a Twitter question uh, from, as we call him, super listener Splig uh, at Dopalicious on Twitter. Uh, so uh, he says, um, "How easy compared to stuff fable?" So Splig was a big uh, someone who constantly talked to us about um, stuff fables, and actually, I will say, I think really encouraged me to reach out to you. So I'm I'm thankful for for him as well but you know he says his girls love uh stuff fables but he also 100 percent fudges the rules so they can enjoy the story 
Um, he feels like the app integration might take some of the pressure off of him. Um, you're welcome to uh, say what you said then, or you can just kind of answer it now if you want to in different words. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I remember this question. Yeah, um, the you know the game the gameplay is a little more sophisticated than uh, Stuff Fables. Um, I intended Stuff Fables to be played with a, a little bit of a younger audience than what I did what I have with Familiar Tales, but the app also comes in and does a lot of the, uh, you know, filling in of the story and, and really, really immerses the kids in it and everything. And the card play is really sort of straightforward. I mean, you have colors, you have symbols, you're matching, you're matching colors, you're adding numbers. Um, so there's light math and there's color matching. And um, I believe that, uh, you know, that a, that a, a parent who um, is really into board games and into playing board games with their kids I believe this game will be just every bit as perfect as Stuff Fables is for that sort of thing. And um, better in some ways and maybe a little more uh, difficult in some ways because the gameplay is a little more sophisticated. Awesome. It's, well, it's ages eight and up. I think uh, we put like ages seven up on Stuff Fables. So. Yeah, I, I can't speak for Splig, but like, uh, and my son's only four, but I'm always trying to... I don't want to say push, but introduce him into games that are a little bit above his age range just to see how he handles. Um, but I also have a friend who is a listener of the show who he is like, he's the dungeon master, he's the GM, and he likes, he has a really good job of introducing his son into um, younger games, like well, more sophisticated games too. So I really feel like this could be right up. Um, their alley too because i mean my son has he he can't sit and focus so it's a little harder for me but i know that there's definitely kids out there who um like my friend's son is playing fireball island which is awesome because my son would look at that thing and those marbles would be gone in three seconds so and i think it also depends on those kids yeah <laughs> you'll be surprised at how quickly he'll change and how quickly he'll be um doing all of this stuff and it's going to be amazing yeah. for you. He wanted to play Monza by Haba again the other day, and he just asked out of the blue. And I was like, yeah, why would I ever say no to you asking to play a board game? <laughs> that would be crazy of me. <laughs> <laughs> My son has always been, um, he's always been a, a big uh, cooperative game player. He would much rather play a co-op game than any other kind of game. And he really just avoids, I mean, he avoids head-to-head -head two player games at all costs. When we play a group game that's um, that's competitive, he is always um, the one who has to go and do some sort of weird approach towards you know bending or you know twisting the rules. To give you an example, when we play King of Tokyo, which we play a lot at my house, I mean my family loves King of Tokyo. We play King of Tokyo. He goes for the energy cubes. That's all he does is do he goes for the energy cubes and he goes for the energy cube win. Have you ever seen anybody do that? No, not in that game. Are you guys familiar <laughs> with King of Tokyo at all? Like how it plays? Yeah. Okay, so, you know, you can collect energy cubes. Uh, there's lots of different cards that allow and lots of different things you can do to collect energy cubes. You can roll the dice and collect those energies. Well, there's a lot of cards in that deck that you can just buy for straight victory points, right? So this is his technique. And he's won by, by doing this several times. 
but he avoids conflict. He avoids all the other stuff that the other players get swept up in. And all he does is go for those stupid energy cubes. And then he sits there <laughs> and he builds like a little, a little pyramid out of his energy cubes. And then anytime he gets a chance, he spins them and buys victory points with them. It's just the most ridiculous thing, but you know, I love, I love uh, the way his mind works. Yeah, that's, that's, Great. That's a unique, like I, I can, uh, now that I think about it, it's makes a lot of sense to play that way in King of Tokyo. People are so busy fighting each other. They might not even notice you going that route. Yeah. And for a person who avoids conflict so much like he does, it's like, I guess the perfect approach for him. I was actually kind of impressed that you could actually win that way. Um, and not more, I mean, more than once. I mean, he's won that way like three or four times and it's like, the craziest thing, it still blows my mind that the game is designed in such a way that it supports that path to victory. <laughs> that's great. I didn't even know you could win that way. So that's, I didn't uh, either until he did. Until I, learned he did. <laughs> I will say I have tried because I'm the person who always tries like every possible path to victory yeah. to play a game. I really don't care about winning. I just want to see what if I all the ways I can win. Yeah. I, I've never won that way. It has never yeah. worked out for me. So I didn't know you actually could. Like I knew it was a possibility, but I was like, I didn't know anyone actually could win that way. I tried, tried it never once, okay? I tried it one time and I hated it and I just was like I didn't I didn't get anywhere. I just like completely got stomped on by everybody. <laughs> yep, exactly. So. I was basically my experience as well. So I was like I didn't know you actually could win that way. So <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Um I, I guess my last question, and then Josh, if you have any other questions, and then that way we can get Jerry out of here, who's been very uh, generous with his time tonight. Uh, w- one question we tend to get, or that often we see, is you know when it comes to board games, and you know the especially obviously this isn't a legacy game, um, but we hear all the time for legacy games or narrative driven games of replayability, right? People are hesitant to spend money on a board game because they're like, well, well, I'd be able to replay it, and then I always ask the question of like, well, how many times do you played any of your board games, right? If you get like. 20 hours out of it it seems like that should be worth it um but is this a game where if you play one time and like josh talked about how like oh i really want to know how both these things go can you go back does it have the stuff in the box field replay the campaign multiple times yeah you can replay the game multiple times there's nothing destroyed there's um uh there's a a a pad of campaign sheets that uh, get used but we we included five copies of each campaign sheet so you could play the game five times without having to print off PDFs, which we're also going to provide. Um, but, you know, the thing, the, the whole thing about replayability is uh, it's one of those things that it's it's brought up a lot. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know how to comment on that without, you know, just kind of pointing out that, like, there's there's lots of different games out there and there's games that are designed for different ways of consumption. And, if I mean, I can't answer for somebody what they would find replayable because I'm the kind of movie uh, kind of person that if I like a movie, I'll watch it multiple times. I don't mind, even though I know what's going to happen in the movie. I like the movie enough that I watch it multiple times. I wanted to make a game that people will like enough to play multiple times. But then again, if I mean, if you only play through the whole campaign once, you're going to get 20 some odd hours. It's just still a value, right? I mean, I um, have you guys. Um, watch this new show on Netflix called uh, Arcane based in the League of Legends. Oh, it's world. on my list. I, I'm so blown away. So I watched episode one four times. I oh, watched okay. episode, I watched episode two. I watched it three times. And tonight I'm going to watch episode three for the second time. 
and I'm probably going to watch each episode multiple times. This show is flat out amazing. If I can, if you haven't watched it yet, you need to like get off this podcast and go turn it on. It is <laughs> flat out amazing. It's both visually and the story is amazing. The characters are fantastic. So I, I, I can't say enough good stuff about it, but that's an example of me. I, 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 I consume my stuff multiple times because every time I've watched the very first episode of, of Arcane, every time I've watched it, I've gotten some more out of it, you know, and I love it so much. I want to absorb everything I can. I want to get every flavor out of it that I can. And that's just the way I am. So there's different stuff out there for different people. I don't mind people asking about replayability. It's an important thing to those people. But to me, I mean, I bought I bought uh, the Descent, you know, the new Descent game. And I don't, I mean, it's an expensive game. I don't care about the replayability of it. I'm going to play through that thing and I'm going to get every little bit of flavor out of it that I can. Agreed. We, we are on the same page, I think, with replayability. Uh, the three I think it's a topic that just... I mean, it's, it's always been around, it's always been around in board games, but it's a topic that I think it gets more lip service than it really deserves, honestly. People, I think people are, I don't know if it's scared or hesitant is the right word, but they like to know that there's an option, even though they'll never utilize it. Um, and I think that gives some, some people more, um, motivation to purchase for me like kyle and i were constantly talking about games we have not gotten to the table so if i get a game and i enjoy playing it that's worth it for me the value alone and if i can play it again cool that's great but realistically um we talked about the pandemic and how hard that was just to get games played in general there's just certain games that that you only want to play once anyways. And I don't think that that takes away or should be viewed as taking away from the quality of the game just because you only want to play it once. Uh, I agree. It's, it's a bigger time investment. I think there's, I think there's like replayability could be linked to like other factors and then to like speak about replayability in isolation without speaking to the other factors that lend into a game's replayability or not. I think that's a, like a mild injustice because like, like games that are easy to get onto the table that are literally easy to set up and easy to get into quick to set up and quick to tear down. Those games are going to get more plays. Like literally in my house, if it's easy to set up and it's easy to like sit down and start playing, you don't have to comb through the rule book a bunch of times or whatever. Those are going to get more plays and that's going to be more replayable. And that's going to be a factor that's going to lend into that. What I want to do is I want to create games that have a, an emotional attachment to the story that sort of pulls you back in and that are easy to set up and easy to play so that you don't have to go through the drudgery of like, you know, setting up something that has a lot of fiddly bits and stuff. So that's, I mean, that's what I've always relied on. I mean, none of my games, I mean, my, go back to Mice and Mystics. Mice and Mystics really probably, once you play through the story, you know everything, you know what's coming and everything. But I know people who've played through that dang thing many, many, many times. So even knowing what's coming around the next corner, you know. But Mice and Mystics takes maybe 10 minutes maximum to set up. So that has a lot to do with it. 
Yeah, we we make jokes about Marvel Legendary, how long it takes to set that game up and <laughs> and put it up, and they're like, "How what? <laughs> did we not play it because we don't want to set it up?" And yes, that answer is always <laughs> yes. It takes just as long to set it up as it does to play it. <laughs> I think about those big uh, Kickstarter games that have like multiple boxes that come, you know, and yeah. people are taking pictures and they put them on the internet. Oh my, such and such arrived, you know, and I got and they have like a stack of boxes. It's like as tall as my kid. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, good luck. Because when you want to play that, are you just going to like open up all those boxes? Where are you going to put them all? Like, what, what are you, I mean, okay, you're going to have to go to box B to get, you know, MacGuffin A out of box B or whatever. I don't know how, I mean, that's just, you know, there's a, a certain excess that like literally takes away from replayability because it, it takes away from playability. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. And I mean, we're, I'm very fortunate in my household that like in our basement, we literally have like a board game table that, and that's like one of the reasons why I think I like Sleeping Gods as much as I did is we set it up and it just stayed there. So like every night we'd go down and it was like watching an episode of television. We'd play through like one little part of Sleeping Gods and then we would just leave it there and then go back and do whatever and come back a night or two and do it again. Cause I can't imagine when I finally, I finally packed it up the other day to like save it. And I was like, oh, man, if I have to unpack all this, like, I don't know, like, when I'm going to unpack this all now. Now that I've put it all away and it's all nicely put away, I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to, like, put the effort into unpacking all of this. And that's, I think, one thing that is a challenge is, is when you get those really, even when games are really awesome, you know, Marvel Legendary, great example, great game. Just, oof, set up at this point with so many expansions and so many other sparks. It's just really hard to say it down and be like, okay, I have two hours to play a game. I want to play as long as I can for that two hours. So Yeah, I get you. I played uh, Sleeping Gods for the first time after like being fascinated with it forever. Um, I, I, uh, I ordered it from a, a website and that ended up eventually, I ended up eventually canceling my order from the website because they kept on getting delayed. And then the final time that they got delayed, they were like, it's going to be like three months. I'm like, well, I'll just cancel it for now. A buddy of mine got it. And so we played it for the first time the other night and, and it's a beautiful game. I mean, it's a beautiful game. And it has like these really, really compelling elements to it. The story's gorgeous. I mean, I love that game. But the whole time, like because I because I've done, because I've gone through making familiar tales and stuff, and because I know what I know as a designer, the whole time I'm thinking to myself, holy crap, an app would just make this game completely rock awesome because you wouldn't have all that. I mean, the, the quality of life factor of like not having to deal with all the fiddly stuff in Sleeping Gods, just be letting an app do that stuff. My God, that thing needs an app. That An app would like completely solve all of those issues and you would still have the board game experience because you'd have that awesome card combat where the cards, uh, Josh, have you, have you played Sleeping Gods? No, it's the, on my list, but I think now I'm going to wait for second edition. <laughs> the, the combat, the combat is so interesting to me because these cards—you line up the cards next to each other, and they all have a grid on them. And there's like this, there's like this way to like with the things that you do in fighting and everything. There's this way to like cross over from card to card. It's just so neat, and all that stuff would be so much more sparkly if you didn't have the overhead of all the fiddly bits and all the the book and all this stuff, you know, I think that it would just, I mean, but of course, you know, I'm completely sold on apps right now. So. Well, but I think you break up an excellent point because honestly, as you were talking about like what you're trying to do with familiar tales, because 
literally was playing Sleeping Gods up till a week ago, I was thinking, I literally was thinking about flipping through that tome of a book and trying to find the right page and then reading through the thing and then checking off the thing. And I mean, it's like four books you're going back and forth between to make sure you're doing everything right and getting all the story and like all of that. So honestly, you know, like I said, my partner and I, we've played through your couple previous games that were kind of in this series. And when I was talking about the podcast and I'm like, oh yeah, we have a really great guest on. She's like, oh, I'm like, oh, Jerry Hawthorne. She's like, should I know who that is? I'm like, well, he designed Mice and Mystics and he, you know, he, he designed stuff fables and he's got a new game coming out she's like oh did you pre-order it already i was like why well, i'm going to tonight now that you said that like yes yeah, like she's super excited about it um uh, but i i do wonder like having the app i'm really wondering how she's gonna feel about it since we've just played this have played your previous games um because i've played some app driven games you know the, the lord of the Rings stuff and all that good stuff but uh, i'm really curious what she's gonna think so yeah me too i'm curious what the public's gonna think about everything. Although I do have a feeling like I know that the public loved the app integration in Forgotten Waters. So I, and I know that we've taken it to the next level in this game. Literally Joe has like, I mean, I mean, we're just, we, we upped everything. And so I can't imagine like, I, I, I'm, I'm almost certain that the, the, the praise and stuff about the app is going to, is going to be there. Like I said, it doesn't take away any of the gameplay. All the board gameplay is there. It's just any of the fiddly stuff that would take you out of the game. That's just, we just hand that over to the app. Awesome. Josh, any final questions? I think we've kept Jerry long enough. <laughs> but no, we can move on to well-rounded life, I think. Awesome. Uh, Jerry, any final things you want to say then about Familiar Tales before we wrap the show up? Uh, we got pre-orders going on right now. If you uh, pre-order uh, my game through us, and we um, we're, we're throwing in um, this little token organizer that comes with it, that's really cool. Um, it looks like a little it looks like a little market, and it holds all the little tokens in the game. And um, our pre-orders are going to be up until um, sometime in January, and then the game is supposed to arrive in um, late January. And um, I'm going to be at BGGCon next week um, from Wednesday through Sunday. I'll be there off and on. If you want to come, I'm going to have um, Familiar Tales with me. So if you want to try it out or anything, just uh, contact me at uh, uh, go through Twitter. I'm mice underscore guy on Twitter. And so you can contact me through Twitter, either through direct message or whatever, and um, set up a time to check out my game. And I'm also going to be in the main uh, game playing area, kind of, you know, maybe hoping that people will sit down and play the game with me and everything. I'll have um, an early prototype of the app with me that has some of the voice integration and some of the uh, music integration in. And um, it's pretty cool. So hit me up at BGGCon. And I'm also going to be at PAX in um, Philadelphia in December. December 10th, I think, is when that starts. And I will be showing off some familiar tales there. We will not have it for sale at PAX, but we have it there to preview. Awesome. Is that enough? <laughs> that was Sorry. great. No, that was awesome. That was awesome. So with that, we'll move on to our recommendations for a well-rounded life. Obviously, we're a gaming podcast, but we do want to give our listeners one other thing we're currently into uh, that's kind of helping us live that balanced life. Uh, Jerry, as the guest, you get the choice. Would you rather go first with a recommendation or do you want Josh and I to do ours and then you'll give yours at the end? Actually, I've already made a really good recommendation. Please watch Arcane. Phenomenal. 
You won't regret it. So are you a League of Legends person or do you just like the show? I know nothing of the game whatsoever. I actually, after I watched the first episode of the show, I went out and checked out League of Legends and I realized it was a MOBA. And I'm like, what the hell does this have to do with the show I just watched? Because the show... The show is very much like a sophisticated, you know, uh, storyline and characters and very, very good depth of, uh, of character building and stuff. And then I, I, I went out to the Internet. I'm like, this is just a this is just a five on five MOBA. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I had no, I had I knew nothing of the game. <laughs> OK, well, just because it was your praise for it, because I have played the game, but just very passingly. So I was like. Maybe I can like this show, even though I have passing knowledge of the game. And apparently you can love it with no knowledge. So that's even better to know. So none. Awesome. I had zero knowledge, but I I went out. I, I literally today I was like I went to their website and was looking at the different characters and reading the character bios. There's like 126 characters or something that you could play in that game. And I was reading the character bios to see if any of the characters were in the actual show and come to find out some of the characters are in the show. But the that, but at the state of their life that they're in in the show is different than where they're at in their life in the game. So you see them when they're younger, when they're youth in the show. And so then I got, I kind of got chills because it was kind of cool that you see these like big time heroes in the game and they're like, and I see where they're going and I see where their characters are right now in the show. And I kind of got that little chill there because I was thinking, this is pretty damn cool. They're like doing some serious world building here. All right. Josh, do you have a recommendation? I do. Hey, I just pre-ordered Familiar Tales, by the way. <laughs> it has been pre-ordered. Do I have like a little bell? Ding, 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 ding. Ding. Yeah. <laughs> Check your emails. Yeah. Pre-ordered. I'm excited to play with the wife. Uh, okay. Well, speaking of voice acting, um, my recommendation is Mythic Quest. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. I think they're stealing that from Disney a little bit. Um, but if you have PlayStation Plus, you get six free months. You can renew, redeem it up till December something. Um, so I figured now is time for me to start watching all these shows. that are. There's a lot of content on Apple TV right now. But Mythic Quest was one of those ones I knew I wanted to check out because I really like Rob McElhenney from It's Always Sunny. I didn't really know what to expect from this show, um, except that he was him and Charlie Day write it. So I expected a little bit of like raunchy, funny stuff. Uh, this show's blowing me away with how incredibly well done it is. It's is incredibly written. It doesn't hurt that it has Ashley Birch, um, which is why I mentioned uh, voice acting, who voices um, Aloy, the fav- the best. Well, I shouldn't. I'm not going to go off on that tangent. <laughs> from my favorite game of all time, um, she's very good in it, but. Something I'm in season two and something the show does is um, they just insert an episode that you don't even think is part of the show. Like we were watching an episode of my wife was like, is this the same show that we're watching right now? Because (laughs) they just really, they don't, they don't warn you about it. They just start an episode and it's in a different time period or it's filmed differently. Um, And it's just, it's touching, it's heartwarming, it's funny, it's hectic. Um, I think it's probably stays true to a lot of video game development as far as some of the stuff that happens in the show. But uh, overall, I'm just uh, really, really, really enjoying it. So yeah, check out Mythic Quest on Apple TV+. Plus. 
Have you watched Finch on Apple TV? Yeah. It's on Tom Finch Hanks? and Invasion, I think, are the next two things I want to watch. I'm going to have to get that Apple TV. Yeah, it's only five bucks a month if you don't have um, that free trial, um, which I thought was going to be $10 a month. So even at five bucks a month, it's still pretty um, approachable right now. So I would say check it out. And Ted Lasso, Kyle recommended Ted Lasso last week, which is a show I really want to watch as well. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, my recommendation this week isn't the show because I just watched Ted, the first season of Ted Lasso just again. <laughs> That's like how good that show there is. There you go. Uh, so yeah, it's it's pretty darn great. Uh, so my recommendation this week as a result of not being a, a show or something uh, is to wash your dang pillows. People, <laughs> we sleep in beds. Your pillows, you your head rests on them. And I don't think we wash them often enough. I, I recently washed my pillows in the last couple days. And let me tell you, just the, the smell when you go to bed is so much more fresh. You don't even realize all that's in your pillows. So take some time, wash your pillows, make sure you follow the care instructions on them. If you throw them in the dryer, make sure you put a couple tennis balls in there to make sure they kind of fluff things back up for you. But people, wash your pillows. <laughs> that's my recommendation. It's a total Kyle recommendation. <laughs> awesome. It's not a documentary. It's going to be oh, washing your pillows. So <laughs> Those aren't so. pillows. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us, Jerry. Um, I know you kind of did a whole bunch of plugs right before we got to this part. Any last things you want to plug or anything last things you want to tell our audience? Um, and, uh, just uh, be joyful. <laughs> there you go. That's a good plug. <laughs> that, that is a very good plug. Uh, awesome. Well, on that note, then, Josh, what do you say we wrap this show up? Let's do it. Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with VG, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with VG. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form, you're just not feeling social media, please feel free to send us an email at boardwithvg at gmail.com. Uh, Paul Calico, I get your email. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, we tag our stuff with hashtag Board with VG. So use that hashtag as well. And if you're playing some of Jerry's games, use that hashtag so we can see what you're playing. And whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you're downloading us from the Dice Tower Network feed or our very own standalone board with video games feed. Uh, you can find me on Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, and Steam at Why So Serious. That's S-I-R-R-I-U-S. Kyle, where can people find you? So you can find me on all the usual places, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, BoardGameGeek, all at PsychoCross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have any suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media uh, because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. That includes other guests. Let us know. Huge thanks again to Jerry Hawthorne for being here. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.